yet another episode of Two Crickets in a Thorn Tree. I'm your host, or half of your hosts, Nicholas Lorimer, joined, of course, by the other half of your hosts, Gabriel Krauser. Indeed. And today, we're going to be talking about a few of our favorite things. I think uh, recently we keep we keep veering off into these sort of apocalyptic uh, discussions about how the world's going to fall apart or end or how things are never going to go away or how we're all doomed. So uh, I'm sure there'll be a little bit of that today, but um, we're going to talk about some things that we find absolutely delightful and entertaining. And we've compiled a rough list for your entertainment and enjoyment. Yeah, so just to give some context to this, um, my my writing mentor, Rian Milan, he made a documentary around the time that Jacob Zuma became president uh, just over a decade ago. And he sort of went around the country and did interviews and spoke to the man on the streets, as it were, uh, spoke to Jacob Zuma himself, spoke to various politicians. And he was sort of trying to ask, answer the question, does Zuma becoming president mean the end, mean the doom of South Africa? And there were a lot of, there were a lot of uh, flags pointing to yes. Uh, and it was pretty, it was pretty worrying. It was pretty clear at the time that Zuma uh, was guilty of corruption, that he had this sort of ethnic uh, nationalist thing going for him. Right that the rule of law was not really something to at live by. At the front by. of his mind, no. <laughs> no. But at the same time, uh, Rian looked quite hard for signs of hope, and he found an interesting one, which was the stand-up comedians at the time that were doing really well were lampooning the old shibboleths upon which... Um, Zuma had Zuma constructed the, the edifice of his, of his uh, evil. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so he would, you'd have these cross cuts of like Zuma saying, you know, the only people who are against me, they're agents of the CIA or the white monopoly capital or whatever the phrase was of the time. And then cutting to uh, stand up comedians, young stand up comedians in Joburg and Cape Town or wherever, uh, sort of making fun of Zuma playing the race card. And I suppose it was part of. The story that these that these uh, young stand-ups were mostly black or, or not white and had grown up pretty poor and had just heard the same old story long enough and their audiences had heard the same old story long enough that they could play to crowds anywhere in the country townships or urban centers wherever and and make fun of this and people were laughing mm -hmm. and and it was a real sign of hope and of course, one of the great ironies is that the the single standout comedian that got the most playtime on Rian's documentary was Trevor Noah, who ah, who has was, subsequently perhaps shall we gone off of that track. He's he's found a new path in life. Yes, yes. So so you know, I suppose that's a warning sign um, that that the things that that we're going to turn to, the funny things that we turn to, they might be signs of. Where, where basic humanity is just incapable of upholding the narrative and so starts laughing at it, and that can yeah. be really healthy. Or maybe it's early signs of madness. Uh, <laughs> or maybe both. <laughs> maybe a bit of both. But that's the idea, is that, is that there's something very important about comedy. And, and the other reason that I, wanted to do, that I wanted to do this, although we had this idea a, a month ago, really, right at the start of mm. the year, 
when we were first talking about, you know, what can we do that that's unlike what we've done before for our listeners? Um, we had this idea, but it really uh, became urgent to me after, uh, a, what would you call it, a, a vlog that Nicholas hosted a couple of days ago on Wednesday with France Crenier, our CEO, and Terence Corrigan and me. Yeah. And basically, it was it was one of the hardest um, sort of public appearances I've ever had to make because we had to talk about the fact that the Institute of Race Relations has been fighting against expropriation without compensation since around years. 2000. And, yeah, for 14 yeah. years. And that we are about to lose a major battle. The yeah. expropriation bill is is almost certain to be passed soon. The date for making submissions uh, is the 28th of February. After that, you won't be able to sort of officially uh, speak to Parliament about it anymore. If you haven't made a submission, let me urge you to do that. I just sent the link out to a few of my friends and they just all, all signed up now. I think we've got 25,000 now or something in this latest batch. And Yeah, and in total, we're over 200,000, I think, just from us. And then there are other civil society organizations that are putting together stuff. The DA has got some things. I think Afroforum probably has something as well. Um, but I think ours is one of the one of the bigger ones. There may be some others yeah. that are slightly ahead of us. I think I think yeah, South Africa is the biggest. Yeah. 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 Possibly. Um, yeah. If you wanna if you wanna sign to the, sign up to that as quickly as possible, go to rr.org.za, um, and then there should be a big button that says Stop EWC on the front page there. So just click that. So and 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 the thing is. The, the, just the thing to be aware of is that it's not over and it's important to get these submissions through because the next phase is going to be to to stop implementation. Right. Now, it's important to remember that for the last year or so, the proponents of the expropriation bill have been saying, no, look, we're not going to implement it. So, <laughs> so it might sound like, like, like we're fighting... Uh, like we're boxing ghosts that don't really exist. But remember before that, that when Ramaphosa first became president in February uh, 2018, he was saying, look, we need to do this because, you know, we can we can create more investment by expropriating people's investments and we can create more economic growth by uh, redistributing wealth in this uh, extraordinary way. So, uh, and, and, and a lot of, uh, Ramaphoriacs were very on board with that message. So that message didn't didn't change from look, we're going to change the law so that we can do a lot, to we're going to change the law so that we won't really do anything at all without pushback. And yeah. if we yeah, and once you change the law, the guys that are going to be making the decisions are going to be low-level municipal guys, and they need the most pushback possible. So, so the next step is going to be more legalistic, but maintaining the public pressure and actually increasing the public pressure is going to be very important right. so that uh, political processes eventually can catch up with this and the law can be changed again. And in the meantime, we need it not to be implemented. So the battle's one battle's lost. The war's not over at all. There's still so much to lose. Indeed. There's so much to... And you can, you can actually see some of this retreat in that I've started to see defenders of the bill very much sticking to that nonsense from a pause line, which is, oh, you know, we need to do this, but we need to do it in a way that doesn't hurt the economy. And that's obviously a, a weak position to be in because there is no way you can do this without hurting the economy. So yeah. the rhetorical battle is is turning in some ways, even as the legislative uh, 
sort of, I don't know what to call it, steamroller, slow, creeping avalanche, glacier thingy, crawls forward. That's a lot uh, of metaphors. Very good. Nick. We need to we need to make a very uh, a very big fire in the in the in in the way of this uh, creeping glacier of the avalanche. Yeah, we need a multi- yes. <laughs> very good, very good, very good. So we'll be we're, doing that. We're not and, all poets. <laughs> and and right at the end of it, Nicholas asked me like, is there anything from Russian poetry? Because I've been talking about uh, a bit of Russian history um, to 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 draw on, and and I and I thought of Joseph Brodsky who. Uh, was the last Soviet to win a Nobel Prize for poetry, and he went to the Gulag, and he was heavily oppressed, and you know he had a tough yeah. life than you or me. Um, but at the same time, and you know a lot of his good friends were killed by the government and all that. But he kept his sense of humour, mm. and part of the reason that the Russians survived, and part of the way that they sort of got rid of the Soviet Union, was by jokes. Yeah. So this really uh, does matter. So and, hold on, and, and we, we didn't talk about jokes. Yeah, we didn't talk about this before the show, but go up, go onto YouTube and look up Ronald Reagan's Soviet Union jokes. So Reagan, in doing some press conferences and stuff, he recognized this power of humor. And so he liked to tell some jokes at the expense of the Soviet system that he claimed. And uh, I believe that he is correct in saying were from Soviet citizens or Absolutely. themselves. Yeah. Um, and they are some that even now they are still genuinely funny <laughs> to listen to all these years later. Uh, yeah, my favorite one, although it's very hard, it's the hardest one to deliver in a funny way. My favorite one is uh, the guy who goes to to pay for a new car, a Lada, <laughs> yes. and and they say, "Oh, very good, thank you for your money. You have to pay now, we'll, and we'll you, you can come collect the car later." And he says, "Oh, okay, I was hoping for the car now, but anyway, when when will the car be ready?" And they said, "In eight years, uh, on the first Monday of February." And he says, oh, oh, and what time can I come collect the car? And they say, uh, well, 11.30 in the morning should be good. But, uh, you know, it's a long time from now. Why do you ask? He said, oh, because I've got a dentist appointment uh, on that morning at 9 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the, my favorite of them is um, uh, the, the American and a Soviet citizen are arguing about, you know, what you can say. Uh, what, what makes their country great? And the American says, you know, in America, you can go right up to the president's desk. You can pound the table and you can and you can say, Mr. President, I don't like what you're doing. And the Soviet says, that's, that's not special. You can do that in the Soviet Union. You, I can go right into the Kremlin. I can go to the office of the general secretary. I can pound on the table and I can say, Mr. General Secretary, I do not like the job President Reagan is doing. <laughs> 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 it's so true and it's so worrying i think i think my my deeper takeaway on sona that we talked a little bit about on monday is that ramaphosa is really starting to turn the screw on the critics don't mm. be a doomsayer like he's 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 uh straw manning badly he said you know everyone said there's going to be this chaos there's going to be chaos when the vaccine comes no one said there's going to be chaos we said precisely the problem is there's not going to be enough movement uh right so he's not addressing we just the said it won't happen like yeah we didn't say that it would be chaos besides yeah. there's still lots of opportunity for chaos to creep in <laughs> it's not day one that the chaos comes in it's day yeah. six day and 10 
He's, yeah, just this lion. Either we stand together, you know, for the most part, he said, so no, for the most part, we stood together. There were some people who who were critics and the, and the criticism will always go on. But what matters the most is, is, is that we stand united against the virus, which sounded very much like what matters most is don't criticize us right now because we've got a virus to deal with. Because it's because it's um, hard, guys. You don't understand. It's so hard. Yeah, and it is hard, but we, we, it's also <laughs> hard to it's also hard on our side. You know that. The, yeah. My my favorite old African idiom was when two elephants clash, it's the grass that takes the brunt of it, you know. And yes, I feel so a little bit sorry for the for the giant elephant Ramaphosa and the giant elephant Zuma and Mahashule and these clashes are. I'm sure it's very difficult to deal with all of that. Um, but from the grass's point of view, let me tell you, it ain't easy. No, it ain't nice. It ain't so nice. Right, so which of the things are we going to do first? We want to do the documentaries first? Yeah, let's start with the documentaries. We're, we're going to build to our very favorite. Nicholas and I independently have one favorite South African <laughs> thing. Yes, no, that's definitely but, true. But we're going to start uh, abroad. And I think, Nicholas, why don't you kick us off with uh, your favorite documentary about Italian, shall we say, exceptionalism? <laughs> so... Um, I just want to give a bit of background about the YouTube channel which does this. It's called Internet Historian. It's quite a big YouTube channel. I think it's got several million subscribers. I think it's an Australian or a New Zealander. And he just makes videos about stuff that was mostly on the internet, uh, kind of sort of journalistically in nature, but he doesn't do any, you know, sort of frontline, that much frontline reporting himself. Uh, but he does look through court records. He does look through news stories and he kind of pieces together um, things that happened in the relatively, you know, quite recently that usually were quite popular online. So he's done a couple of videos, one of them that's the most interesting and actually turns from being something quite silly into something quite dark is his discussion of um, an internet viral meme called Balloon Boy, which is about the uh, a kid who allegedly got stuck in a balloon and then it was accused of being a hoax in 2009. Anyway, so that's kind of interesting. But his most recent video, I think, is his best. Um, and it's called The Cost of Concordia. And, it's and it about, came out this week. Yeah, it came out this week. It's about a uh, ship shipwreck in 2012 um, of a big cruise liner called the Costa Concordia, which cost $512 million to build. Um, and know, that's $2,005. So right. it's so, closer to a billion in today's terms. Yeah, it's, it's a big deal. And uh, this ship was wrecked basically by the incompetence of its captain and uh, his bridge crew. And he goes through in a blow-by-blow uh, account using the uh, records from the ship's black box, basically, to talk about uh, how exactly this happened and how completely avoidable, incompetent, and ridiculous the whole affair was. Everything from the fact that the uh, captain was showing off to his mistress at the time, who was on the bridge. Who was on the bridge, yeah. Yeah with him uh the fact that the third officer was lazy and didn't do her job properly the fact that they had decided to hire a very very cheap helmsman to actually do the physical steering of the ship a indonesian guy who had previously been a painter <laughs> who also didn't speak italian or english very well yes so he kept so you messing just, up just, the commands. just imagine the scene so this is the scene right you're on this like billion dollar cruise ship you've got thousands upon tens of thousands of passengers all there spending lots of money uh, listening yeah, to the fancy there are five restaurants a casino a a three-level theater on this thing it's a huge huge ship 
And they're in the they're in the thing, and they're busy watching a magic act, and some woman is about to be sawed in half, but not really. And in the bridge, the captain decides, and the captain, by the way, is elevated mysteriously, very very quickly from being yeah, like a side his, security dude. Yeah, he's, he's a security officer who manages to become captain in about two or three years. And he's and he's got such a stereotypical Italian look. Like he's quite handsome, but he's a little bit overweight. But his skin is super smooth and sallow. And, and, and like, he's got that bronze Mediterranean glow, you know. <laughs> mm, he just, he just, he just like oozes lots of things, including confidence, <laughs> but also other things. Yes. And he's on the bridge, and his and his mistress is there, who got onto the ship without a ticket, and then they pretended that she was like a hostess, but then she wasn't on the records of being like someone who works there. So he just gives her like hostess uniforms, and she walks around, and she comes on the bridge, and he's like, "Oh, my darling." We're going to do a beautiful drive-by. So there's this little island called like uh, Gerono, something like that, and it's it's just off the coast of Sicily, I think. Uh, no, off the coast of of, of um, Western Italy. Uh, I can't remember that that region. Anyway, yeah, it's, so it's he, up there. So, so the idea is that they're gonna they're gonna sail quite close to this island. And then people can wave at the island and the people of the island can wave at them. But he says, oh, darling, usually it's it's uh, two miles, but we are going to go less than one mile. So you can see <laughs> the flowers, the beautiful flowers in the middle of the night, the spring, summer night. Oh, wonderful. And dude, and one of the one of my favorite parts is they're so casual about this that he's like steering towards the island thinking he's going past it but he's actually by mistake because the coordinates aren't right steering into yeah. the island but mostly and because the helmsman didn't understand the instructions properly and for a second there gives the wrong heading on the ship so he phones the previous captain of the ship who happens to live on the island at like 11 at night or whatever it is and he's like oh carlo how close do you think <laughs> you can go to this island and he's like oh antonio we don't go closer than two and a half miles. And he says, oh, Carlo, you're so weak. We are going to go less than one mile. <laughs> and he says, oh, well, I'm a bit sleepy right now, but that doesn't sound like a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> this is all paraphrasing. If you want the real exact word. Yeah, watch, watch the video. Um, but then they're like, okay, the, the, the clouds lift and they see the island is right ahead. So he's like, oh, Giuseppe, we have to turn right. And then Giuseppe's like, oh, did you say we turn left? And he says, no, turn right. He's like, okay, we're going to turn left. And then the other guy's like, no, we have to turn right. And there's all these miscommunications and it is a it complete... Is, is, but here's, here's, here's the, real, the real drama of the thing actually, right? So this, this the, the, the ship crashes. Well, then they, they hit a rock. Yeah. They hit a they huge, hit a rock and giant it rock. And the whole side literally... While they're driving at the rock, the guy literally says, turn starboard. And then the other guy interprets that as turn aft or whatever yeah, the opposite is. <laughs> turn port. Turn port. Turn port. Um, so, so all this incompetence leads to the crash. But the worst part is the captain then proceeds to deny that the ship is sinking basically until things have gone completely wrong. And they lie to the passengers a couple of times, I think for about 20 minutes, they just keep lying. All the lying power the goes passes. out. So yeah. suddenly the ship is just starting to tilt on its side. 
and the passengers end up basically ignoring the cruise staff and getting the lifeboats ready themselves and putting on the life jackets themselves. Dude, then one passenger uses her smartphone, this like nice old lady. She's like, <laughs> This is, yeah, this isn't the right, right Marcello, <laughs> Marcello, this is not making sense to me. They are saying there is merely a power outage, but I've been on many cruises before, and in a power outage, <laughs> the ship is not turning 30 degrees on its axis. Look, the lady who was in the box, she's fallen off the stage. It is still there. This is not the power outage. So she, so, so he says, okay, call, call the harbor. So she calls the harbor. She, he says, she calls her daughter, who calls the yes. police, who calls the harbor. <laughs> and then the harbor calls the guy back. And they're like, we've already spoken about this. And you're saying there's a power outage, but people on board are saying that the ship is tilting. And he says, no, 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 no. Nothing's wrong. We're, we're, yeah, nothing, no reason to, to worry. We're not going to order any evacuations. Um, everything starts to go wrong, and towards the end of uh, as as the whole disaster is unfolding, it becomes clear they need to abandon ship. Even the captain realizes at the end. But before he gives the order to evacuate, and this is not a joke, <laughs> he changes into a suit. <laughs> Look good when he gets to shore. Fabio, Fabio cannot simply <laughs> arrive in a captain's uniform. He has to put on Armani suit. What? <laughs> um, uh, uh, as he's abandoning ship in a lifeboat, uh, a, another veteran captain um, calls him uh, and says, where are you? Um, I, someone told me that you'd gone or left the bridge, that you were getting off the ship. And then the captain replies, well, <laughs> I slipped and fell into a lifeboat. And I guess it's just easier if I go to shore now because that's just how it's going. And then he says, in Italian, get the... F, F back on board, <laughs> which and then the captain, becomes a huge slogan across. Yeah, it Italy becomes a slogan in Italy, um, because the uh, I think a recording of this radio transmission gets picked up by local radio, and they 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 play it. Um, and anyway, he uh, he then pretends to not understand what the guy is telling him to do, and puts the phone down. The captain spent the rest of the the rescue sitting on a rock watching the ship without helping anyone. <laughs> Before going back to, to his hotel room and then giving a false interview to reporters where he claimed he was the last person to leave the ship. He is really a bad dude. And and it, and it gets worse because it wasn't just the ship got wrecked. 30 people got killed. 32 people. It was yeah. absolutely horrific. Plus a, plus a rescue worker who also died during the, the, the sort of salvage operations. So but then you think it's amazing. Yeah. So it's as bad as can be. And then somehow, I mean, it can't get worse than people dying, but somehow the story doesn't end. The, the spectacular yeah. uh, the failure bomb. continues where then then the ship is full of cash at the casinos and like expensive liquor. And these Italian divers just descend upon the ship and start <laughs> looting it blind. <laughs> they strip it of then, basically everything, including its ship's bell. <laughs> And then they find, like, then there's this question about this one helicopter, which was the first thing to leave before the emergency was called, which might have landed on the helicopter deck and left with lots of cocaine. And then there's questions about whether the captain was actually on coke at the time. And they found, like, <laughs> some traces of cocaine on his hair. And the the guy who said F off, the captain who was on shore, who was trying, the, the old veteran who was trying to sort of keep everything going, he becomes a yeah. politician because... He, for criticizing this dude and the whole and the whole debacle, he gets demoted and transferred elsewhere. And you know he and and there's this popular uprising. Like how the hell does he's the one guy who is kind of trying to do the right <laughs> thing and he's demoted? 
So then he's like, fine, I'm just going to quit the admiralty and uh, and become a politician. And yeah, between the drugs and the mistress and the there's also people who are like far away on the other end of Italy who claiming they're on the ship and that they yes. deserve payout. And they need compensation. And uh, basically at the end of the day, everyone manages uh, to largely escape um, get off scot-free. Not quite scot-free, but 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 close to. Uh, the captain um, the goes captain, to jail. The captain goes to jail, sort of, but like the company manages to get off. Uh, the helmsman, the Indonesian who didn't speak English or Italian well, just disappears. disappears. <laughs> he goes back to Indonesia. They track him down in Indonesia and he disappears again and no one's found him since. Look, the company did pay out many millions of euros. Uh, the average person got like 16,000 euros. The minimum was 16,000 euros for the people who just were inconvenienced. Yeah. And the families of those who died got millions of euros, undisclosed amounts and whatever. So yeah, it's not in, like... In civil cases that came afterwards. But in terms of yeah. uh, criminal negligence stuff, they a lot yeah. of... Uh, basically, everyone except the captain seems to have, have gotten off. Yeah. No, I think the third helmsman and the first helmsman got like a year. Yeah, they did so, community service. Yeah. yeah. So So it's just... I don't know. It's it's a it's a tragedy. It's a comedy, and 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 it's well worth the forty five minutes it takes to watch because you'll get more details than we're able to portray. But yes. one of the things that's interesting about it is that is that it feels like such a South African story in a way. Right. You know, just, we just think we're the sort only of guys who have this terrible incompetence, but the style and the all know. the all the shortcuts and the just completely avoidable nonsense and the ego that's going on here is it's you can see it happening in South Africa and then you can also see the sort of debacle of an aftermath being like South Africa I mean if there was a ship with all that valuable stuff that crashed off of our shore you can be sure that we would loot it even faster than the Italians <laughs> <laughs> so but it's but it's but it's it's got incompetence is global the flavors yes. are particular, but the secret source of, yeah, as you say, ego and shortcut and whatever, that is a universal thing. And I think it's great to see. Uh, I, it'll This video will definitely make you laugh and it'll definitely hurt your heart. And uh, and so that's our, that's our strong first recommendation. Our yes. second recommendation is uh, a documentary, which isn't as obviously funny. It's not trying to be as funny, although there are some stinging one-liners. Uh, made by Alexei Navalny, who was perhaps, you know, there's the story about uh, he was poisoned. Perhaps yeah, you may know him as the dude attempt. who got poisoned. Yeah. Uh, sort of opposition, uh, symbolic opposition leader in Russia to Vladimir Putin. And he made a documentary two years ago or three years ago about Medvedev, who's Putin's number two, um, about all Medvedevs and Kandlas. And the great thing is that he sort of... Uh, this is our hour and a half thing where he's got these org charts that sort of show how the network works and the shell companies and all of that. But he also gets these drones, these very expensive sort of high quality drones with great cameras that fly over the various estates so that you can see how deluxe they are. Anyway, he's now decided to do that with Putin and Putin's palace. That's what it's called. It is. I don't know how accurate it is. I've tried doing some follow-up research. It looks pretty plausible. the The story has been around for the last ten years. Um, there hasn't been a lot of plausible deniability, but it's it's. Uh, I suppose just to give you a sense of it, uh, on the Black Sea in the southern part of Russia, um, 
there is an area about 500 hectares. There's sort of like beautiful white cliffs, sheer roaring out of the ocean and then curving onto this green hill. And atop that is a, a gargantuan palace, unlike anything in South Africa at all. And uh, there is an underwater hockey rink. I'm sorry, an under an underland. There's an ice hockey rink that is built in a bunker. Okay. <laughs> so just to give you a sense of the scale, that's like one of the small side things. There's a tea room. It's called the tea room, which is really like a five-story uh, side palace for where the guests go to stay with several terrace balconies with a bridge, with a suspension bridge that's like as long as Storms River Bridge going from the main sort of hill Look, to that Gabriel, hill. Gabriel, you can't have a czar without a palace. He's got the, the main entrance hall is very Tsarist. It's literally got the Tsarist symbol. symbol. The, the gate is, is an exact reproduction of the Tsar's Winter Palace <laughs> main entrance gate. There's a hookah lounge, which has conveniently got a, a, a pole, which uh, you press a button and then the stage lifts and then a pole comes out of it. And Navalny says, we wonder what for reason there can be a pole in the hookah lounge. <laughs> Maybe it is for putting up a Christmas tree. <laughs> That's a very Russian joke. <laughs> um, there's also halfway down, so there's an elevator. This thing is about one, the, 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 the hill is very high. It's like a kilometer up. There's an elevator that goes through the mountain down to sea level and then goes across uh, to the coast so that you can sort of step out and then have a little swim. But halfway through, I suppose that's, I mean, that's not normal, but that is understandable. But right. halfway through the elevator, there's a secret stop point, and there's a secret tunnel that then goes out to halfway up the mountain with, with like a, an invisible window from the outside so that you can have <laughs> sundowners looking over the ocean, but no one from the outside can see you. It's a no-fly zone over it. You have, you have this phone call to the to the Russian um, naval authority where they say, hey, I've got a shipping boat, uh, a fishing boat. I want to go past this area. You always have to ask for permission to sort of just chart out your course. Same with airplane flights. Most places in the world is like that. Um, and then they say, oh, you want to go there? Sorry, could you just go uh, a mile out to sea when you're going around <laughs> this area for mysterious undisclosed reasons? So it really looks bad. Officially, the company that owns it uh, purchased the land and has been building this project for the last 15 years. The budget is like in the billions of dollars. Um, it's a it's a children education research facility. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Can, can, can I say something? You called it an Inkandla. Can I say something about Inkandla? So I think that it's interesting that Inkandla got to be such a big story, right? Because the government has done worse things. Yeah. You know? You, you can you can think of a couple off the top of your head is the insomedi stuff although obviously that came after there was the stuff around hiv and aids there was so many things the government has done worse and and in other cases where the corruption has been more damaging yeah but you know what really infuriates me about Nkanda? yeah the fact that zuma got screwed have you seen how much of a trash heap that place is it is not worth the money they spent on it there was some yeah. inflation going there. Whoever built that for Zuma, yes, it was taxpayers' money, and yes, Zuma should never have gotten that money, blah, 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 all of that. But really, the amount of money they spent on it and how little they got for it is what really annoys me. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and, if you're going to have do, a kleptocratic president, this is can you at least have a palace? Like because, because, okay, so so this thing came out, and this this Navalny documentary came out within a week. And, and, and it's, I mean, the documents that they use look very legit. And they've got people who were part of the construction team, and they've got people who were part of Putin's inner circle who kind of have gone whistleblower. Yeah. And... They get into, I mean, and they get into various other side palaces. Putin's got several alleged mistresses, and they all get a yacht and a and a very fancy apartment and all kinds of things, whatever. It's like a, it's a it's a it's a very unkindly story in that sense. But here's here's what's telling. Levada, which is the sort of grand independent pollster of of, of Russia, um, did a survey a week after the thing had been released. And they found, you know, it had been viewed like 130 million times around the world. Um, they found one in four Russians said that they'd seen it, which would line up with that, like, you know, 30 yeah, million Russians. That's also a lot of people to watch a YouTube video, basically. Yeah. Um, and, and, and three in four Russians had heard about it. So Russians over the age of 55... 50% of them that had seen it thought it was fake news. Uh, and 50% thought it was the real deal. And of Russians 18 to 34, the supermajority, like 75% thought it was real and like 20% or whatever thought it was fake news. Right. So that's not totally surprising. I mean, I think it's, it's a high number, like half of the half of the sort of senior generation that watched it thought this is real. So a lot of people obviously take it very seriously. Um, for all that, only like 30% of the people who watched it said that their <laughs> their idea about Putin had, had reduced after watching <laughs> the thing. And like 5% said that their opinion of Putin had actually improved. <laughs> Well, exactly. People like a bit of uh, pantomime. And and why? At a deeper level, why? And the and the pollsters show this. Because most people that approve say, look, whatever, our lives are improving. Right. So if you look at Russia, the, the big news, the big financial news coming out of Russia in the first quarter of 2021 is that their government balance sheet has gone positive. That's to say... The government owns more than it owes. There are very must, few governments. Must be nice. <laughs> must be nice. Their jet, debt to GDP ratio is something like 15%. They've been running budget surpluses. Mm. Their GDP growth has been in keeping with emerging market patterns, you know, ranging between 4 and 7%. They, got, they were growing under Putin. Putin became president in 2000. After that, they, you know, we were bragging about growing at 5%. They're growing at more than that. And their growth was more consistent. And they finally got knocked in the teeth when they annexed the Crimea. The oil price suddenly shot down. Um, many, many people inside the Russian sphere believe that it's because the Saudis and the Americans had gotten together to drive the oil price down. Uh, others say that's a silly conspiracy theory and there were fundamentals. There was a sort of production glut, a supply glut, a increased move towards green energy and so on. Um, whatever the case may be, the oil price went from sort of 
a high of around $120 per barrel to a low of around $20 per barrel. Then it started climbing up back up a little bit, but the Russians weren't making as much money out of it. And they had sanctions, major sanctions placed against the country. So there was a little bit of economic contraction, but it didn't last. There was a, a sudden and serious recovery from that too. COVID, I've just been reading the Moscow Times, Russia has had the worst excess death per population in Europe by quite a stretch. Uh, so in that sense, um, it's bizarre that people haven't been complaining more. Uh, there's a question about whether it's because they just don't get the information or because Russians uh, have a more raw attitude towards uh, large numbers of people dying at once. Um, right. <laughs> they have some historical experience with these things. <laughs> yeah. But so so I'm not trying to paint like an overly rosy picture of Russia, but I have visited Moscow uh, for the last decade and I have seen several suburbs go from like like Hillbrow and Yeovil, seriously worse in some in some mm -hmm. instances, to being like uh, Mulrose Arch or Santon. Mm -hmm. And that is just uh, that just makes a difference to everyone who's living there. You know, places have gone from being criminal to safe. Houses have gone from being generally dilapidated to being upgraded. Uh, living standards improved, new jobs, unemployment much lower. Uh, and partly that's because, I mean, when the Russian minimum wage was introduced, it was uh, something like 100, it was like literally 250 rand a month. And so it's increased <laughs> uh, by like a factor of eight. So now it's like 2,000 rand a month uh, mm. versus R3.6 or whatever it is. Um, but they just, they, I don't know, they've just made much more pragmatic steps. They haven't tried to solve every problem at once. And so where they have tried to solve a problem, they often actually have solved this and and people feel that their living circumstances have improved and also and as such are very sympathetic towards their call him a president call him an emperor call him a reformer call him whatever you want to call him their their vladimir putin uh vladimir 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 vladimirovich vladimirovich oh yeah my, my tongue Russians is getting, getting stuck rusty. in my throat you need to you need to go spend some more time in moscow they they're very sympathetic to that. I think it's I think it's a fascinating documentary to watch, uh, with that lingering at the back of your mind, and mm. also with it lingering at the back of your mind that this is this is what when I was studying journalism, I, I took one class in journalism when I was in America, and I had friends who then immediately went on from there to to study at NYU, which has the state's most prestigious program to work at the New York Times and work at the New Yorker, and and what we were promised was this kind of activist journalism. People with a lot of money throwing a lot of resources um, at both the hard sort of financial research side, because digging into these shell companies really takes a lot of smart man hours. And the manpower side, you've got dudes getting on ships, going as close to the thing as they can go, watching out for the government to swoop in on them, sending drones up into the air, flying in the CGI recreation of the interior of the house so that you can do a virtual tour through it, the sort of one-on-one -on -one interviews with people that then need serious protection because of all the potential backlash. It's like a huge, the budget for this thing is like a small Hollywood movie. It mm. couldn't really easily be done. It couldn't be done by any Russian publication. Um, it could be done by an independently wealthy uh, like know, lobbyist, yeah. politician, and 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 the upshot of it is 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 a sight to behold, and 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 
and the and the background funny thing is, you know, maybe this is why they were trying to assassinate him, if they were trying to assassinate him. So it's also, on the one hand, the stakes are so high that this is the kind of journalism that you might get killed over. Um, on the other hand, it's like the stakes are so low that you can show this, and it'll, it definitely changes so, some people's yeah. minds, but a lot of people are like, oh, that's great, Putin's got like a stripper pole with a hookah machine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and several vineyards, and like... There I mean, was, some of it's quite classy. There are certainly people in the country who feel, felt the same way about Nkandla. Although, like I said, I personally thought that he got screwed. <laughs> anyway, that's our um, second favorite thing recommendation. Yes, yes. Uh, two two great documentaries. Um, what was the name of yours again? What was the name, the actual title of the documentary? In English, I think it's called Putin's Palettes. Putin's, Putin's Palettes. Yeah. Um, yeah, the YouTube channel I was talking about was, of course, Internet Historian, which also did a couple of other videos that are um, about sort of funny goings on in Internet subcultures, which you may find either a bit impenetrable because some people really don't care and others may be slightly horrified by them to discover that these subcultures exist. Um, but generally speaking, some really good content in there. What are our next items that we're going to, going to talk okay, about? Okay, so we've got a few more, but I think we're going to have to skip through. Yeah, uh, one is, I want I wanted to talk about Boris Johnson's debate with Mary Beard. Boris Johnson yes, is obviously now the Prime Minister of the UK. Mary Beard is the sort of cultural attaché for the BBC, and the debate was the Greek or the were the Greeks better or were the Romans better? And it's kind of such a silly topic, uh, and at the same time, it really brings out. Um, a lot of jokes about mm. beheadings and fish sauce and <laughs> tyranny and incest and all the kinds of things that happen in the ancient world that we now have the distance to laugh about and and sort of you know gen minor genocides and all that kind of fun stuff. <laughs> so it really, when you put it like it really, that, Gabriel, <laughs> it really is one of the most bizarrely, chillingly humorous intellectual clashes and the fireworks are amazing i mean boris johnson love him or loathe him he really knows how to do verbal uh, theatrics and so does mary beard and they go at each other with with teeth bared really is a master of of uh, i don't know of of his shtick his shtick of pretending to be this sort of slightly bumbling incompetent uh, mumbling fool and yet is actually a sort of cunning devious fox it's mm. it's, a, it's a party plays extraordinarily well it's also very British, you know. Yes, um, yes. I'm I'm so intellectual that I can't remember how to say things in English. Yes, exactly. And I've forgotten how to tie my shoes or do my hair. Yes, my, <laughs> but my button's in the wrong hole and all that. Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, my old withered cardigan, moth-eaten cardigan. Okay, and then the, and then so the other can, one is... Can, yeah. yeah. The, other small, the other small thing I wanted to say just about Nkandla... Um, is the comparison the sort of mistress comparison like there is something very special about zoomers many wives and many mistresses that the, yes. that the grandest um uh fiasco was that one of zoomers wives was accused of having tried to poison him poison him yeah and I, I, the video, my favorite video that hasn't been made, I, I pitched this to, uh, I, I sort of, to someone in Nando's, was uh, that they should, they should have that wife of Jacob Zuma 
say, you know, the root of a man's stomach, the root of a man's heart is through his stomach. And uh, I was the best chef in Nkandla. I was cooking the best to Zuma's heart. <laughs> and then those other ones got jealous. So they were accusing me of poison, but it wasn't poison. It was love. And uh, now that I've been kicked out of Nkandla, um, I'm making chicken for Nando's. So if you want real love, if you want to know the president's best, come to me. I thought that would be a great ad if they could secure it. Yeah, no, that's that would be nice, and that that's that that would be a good edgy ad. Um, and I, I I fear that the great the great tragedy of our time will be that the intrigue and internal politics of the Zuma household, yeah, will never there'll never be a great detailed account of that. And it probably is a story that could match the most magnificent courts of of medieval Europe, in terms of plotting, poisoning, backstabbing, tricking, you know, sex, violence, all the good stuff would be in there, and. Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately, we're never going to find out the true story, perhaps, of that. Well, maybe we will. Maybe we'll get lucky yet. Maybe one of his kids will write something. Um, mm. But uh, uh, anyway, so let's okay, talk without further ado, about, about the star of the show. South African thing. Yes. The greatest performer in South Africa's recent history, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. He's, he's very difficult to explain. In, in words, what the sort of appeal is. Um, and I think we came across him both originally through viral videos. Um, we didn't know, I didn't know at first what his name was for quite a long time. I searched for a while and eventually I found him on YouTube. Um, he, he popped up, he, he got big overseas uh, and actually his videos went quite viral there for a while. His channel's still going, even though it's not nearly as viral anymore. And every single one of his videos is basically the same thing and all of them fantastic so gabriel would you be able to play us a bit of the the video i'm just going to um, play you his latest this is from eight hours yeah. ago uh, yeah. and his name is demi 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 listen to this listen to this attentively the best way to learn is to listen to the winners and repeat the best way to learn is to listen to the winners and also go back and listen to the failures and the losers so that you can learn how did they fail so that you can prevent and learn from that. Some pow, some PSD, some Demi Demi, some MTN, some laugh, some thank you, some thank you, thank you, thank you. Listen to this attentively. The best way to learn, the best way to learn is to listen to the winners and also and listen to the losers so that you can learn from them how did they fail so that we can prevent it in future? Some power, some PSD, some. Every time, every time I think I'm going to get, I said to this to you just before the show, but every time I think I'm going to get bored of that shtick, of, of, of the, because every video is basically that. He gives an inspirational quote or, or some sort of thoughtful piece of, you know, like self help advice. And then he ends it by going, <laughs> he does it. And if you <laughs> watch the video, like he goes in and out of the thing and he's got these two golden teeth at the top and at the bottom yes. and he's full of a smile and full of, yeah. Every time I think I'm going to get bored of it, I watch another video and it cannot but bring a smile to my face. It's just so charming in a weird way. And he's so sort of, he, it's kind of weird because a lot of people in his comment section will point out that they can't tell whether he's, sort of being slightly cynical and jokey about the advice he's giving, or whether he's being really, really genuine. I think he is being genuine, and that's what's so delightful about it, is he's just, you know, entertaining people and giving them good advice. 
and all of his videos are like pretty useful stuff. It's all about adding value, about being the best you can be, about you know making yourself fortunate and wealthy, about not being jealous, you know, just sort of simple stuff like that. And I really, it it warms my heart. It really does. He's also got this sort of unique South African take on the whole thing. Um, there've been some good edits of his videos. So hold on, yeah, let me. Yeah, here's, here's his here's his greatest, his viral one. Find shelter in the storm, but the eagle fly higher than the clouds. Dude, it's so good. And it's like, okay, so I didn't play the longer one, which is two and a half minutes, where he where he starts out with this one which you have to laugh at because he says, Everybody makes a mis- everybody makes mistake, but somebody learns to turn their mistake into successes. And he he sort of repeats this line. And he keeps making grammatical mistakes and he keeps changing the grammatical mistakes that he makes. And it's it's kind of so obvious that it has this self-reflective irony of right. of of him knowing he is such a working class chap. He sort of knows that he's not perfect. He knows that he's got a way to go and a way to grow and that the thing that stands him in the best stead of getting where he wants to be is not some grand endowment of eloquence or of a fancy education. It is true grit. Yes. And and that willingness to, to keep making the mistakes, but to shift them around and to kind of push through the little ones to, to find the big success. Right. And the big success in his mind, and I believe that this is correct, is touching other people. Yes, yes. In a in an inspiring way, in a way that inspires you to to go back to doing what you don't want to do, but you know you have to do. Yes. That uh, is I think he is the id of of the of the of the sort of quiet majority in this country that the Institute yes. of Relation, Race Relations so often talks about. People are so beleaguered and terrorized and depressed and distracted. And yet there is this, so the, so the superficial side of South Africa is, is terribly broken. But if you get into the living rooms, if you get into the, the, soul. the, the souls of, of people, you find this true grit and it's poetic. It's as poetic as this metaphor of, of birds sort of hunkering on a tree and, 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 and Hiding being from the rain. beaten down by the rain and knowing 
that there's an eagle above there and knowing that if they push hard enough, they can pierce the clouds and they can fly higher than the storm. That is, that is such a South African hope. Not that the storm will go away, but that you can fly over it. Yes. This yes. guy is the poet of the nation. He is. He is. That's exactly what he is. Uh, we can also glean some more interesting insights into his personality by how he runs his YouTube channel. So one of the things you'll notice if you look at the comment section of his YouTube channel is he makes an effort to like every single one of his viewers' comments. Every single one of them. Even if they're hundreds, you will scroll down the list and you will see that he has liked almost every single one of them. <laughs> even, even better than that, if you make a silly meme, which is a remix of him, or you... Uh, you know, do a video imitating him or copying his style and 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 saying how much you you know you like his videos. If you if you make any kind of fan content and you send it to him, he uploads it to his channel. <laughs> and so it's got it's filled with channels saying with much love from America, with much love from Mongolia was a recent one. Um, <laughs> just of people and, and and this is another thing where it's also kind of interestingly anti woke. People imitating his voice and accent, which, of course, in South Africa is generally a big no-no, you know, in yeah. the sort of polite circles. And yet people do it, and he clearly thinks it's funny, and they think it's funny, and there's no, there's no, like, of this heavy baggage between people. It's just people all clutching onto these great videos and having a good time, and it's so wonderful. It's so wonderful. And, and I think it's, I think it, it really is Joseph Brodsky. Joseph Brodsky yes. was in the gulag for like almost a decade and he was put to hard labor and people are being killed but those who survive he would make himself keep going by by this uh this sort of fantastical idea that they were all on holiday together <laughs> and he would say oh the resort the resort is <laughs> is giving us dinner what's on the menu tonight and then they say, oh, same thing as last night. And it's fantastic. Last night was my favorite. What is it? Gruel. <laughs> it is pure, simple gruel. And <laughs> Good, honest out. gruel. <laughs> and this is, how, this is how he survived. And this is how he helped other people to survive and yes. to find meaning. And, you know, I think a, a, a lot of people know this movie, uh, La Dolce Vita. No, no. What is it called? The one set in the... Nazi um, camps with the with the Italian guy. He keeps saying Principessa. Like it, it, the English translation is "Life is Beautiful," okay. and, and and the story is about a, a family um, of Jews, Italian Jews who, who who get detained and put into Nazi camps, and the father and daughter end up being in the camp together. And he makes believe that they are in some kind of um, theatrical adventure mm. to help the daughter survive. And spoiler alert, he gets shot by the Nazis eventually. But the daughter does survive. And what that father did to shield her from the trauma and at the same time give her the will to live on. You know, I think it'd be very... The sort of movie gives you to understand that 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 Jews were trying to were getting married, you know. Yeah, even in one the of the most of stark the scenes in in Auschwitz before getting shifted to the gas chambers, like people are getting married. What a! 
I don't know. I think it's 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 hard to even contemplate, but it is an inspiration. And it's a bloody bit of perspective for us because Indeed. we are facing maladministration, increased joblessness, crime or, or rates. To quote, or to quote Demi Demi, tough times. Yeah, tough times. We're facing tough times and people are dying. But for those of us who, who are lucky enough to survive and not enjoy not just the sunsets and the and the and the nature but to enjoy one another to enjoy mm. one another as south africans to enjoy the creativity and the originality and the foibles and the and the grammatical errors and the fantastic ac accents and the colorfulness of this place to to not enjoy that i think is actually <clears throat> is 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 missing out on the on on this basic old idea that you've got one life these are the cards you've been dealt and and what really matters is how you play them. Right. And it's very it's profoundly important to play them with grace and to play them with humor and with a bit of warmth. Yeah, definitely. My I actually have a friend who he's a he's an atheist, but he believes essentially that humor is almost of a divine quality. And I think he's right. It is uh something magical that does give strength and energy to to make life worth living in a very real way. And it can be found even in the darkest of places, as you point out. And Demi Demi, I think I think it's a great test to to take some Demi Demi videos and to play them to yourself and see where you stand and play them to your friends or whoever and see where they stand. If you can't laugh at that because you're too worried about, uh, you know, his grammatical errors or his accent or, you know, I, then I then then I think you're missing his humanity mm. and you're missing his his joie de vivre. Uh, mm. And at the same time, if you if you if you don't find yourself emotionally a bit pulled and inspired, then I think you <laughs> you're on the other end of just laughing and not seeing the the, the full depths of this guy's expression, yeah, the, the wonderfulness of it all. Yeah. So there's tragedy and there's comedy there, too. And I think that that's uh, a real bit of magic. And I feel like he, that thing that Rian Malan was looking for and that he found in Trevor Noah in the early Zuma days of, of you know, like a young dude from a sort of weird, funny working class background who was making jokes about the powers that be and getting audiences in Soweto and Santon to all laugh at it. Uh, I think that really was uh, a very important thing to find and a very important mm -hmm. reason to believe that South Africa could endure and it did endure. And of course, fame uh, and success can be its own poison. And Demi Demi knows that better than anyone. One of my favorite perverse uh, lines of his, he says, the people that will hurt you the most are the ones closest to you. Indeed. Uh, and and not, so let's not, hope that the people close to him don't hurt right. him and that he keeps growing and helping. Not, 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 to, not to ruin the poetry of, of everything you've just been saying, but he does also do videos from his bubble bath sometimes, which are also... I don't know. They have a very weird quality to them, but I love them. <laughs> dude, yeah, dude. If he's not having a laugh, if you don't think he's laughing at himself and doing that yeah. little, little, little thing <laughs> in the bubble bath. <laughs> um, and actually, ludic. We the, are... old, the old Greek word is ludic. Yes, yes. <laughs> Um, so we are actually in a very good space now because we are exactly basically on the hour mark, I think, close, very close to at least. Um, now, I don't know really how to end this because, you know, in a sense, we've just spent the whole episode giving recommendations. Um, but do you have a recommendation for, for our listeners? Yes, 100%.
next time you feel low and you feel like going slow and you feel like giving up honest to goodness go to youtube look up demi demi find <laughs> one that's 45 seconds long find one of the compilations that's two and a half minutes long whatever it is just find it have a look and it might not always work but there's a real chance that he will brighten your day and give you something to think about and i recommend that i you know i could say some boring thing but actually honestly there's nothing that's going to for me compared to that i really love his videos my friends love his videos they're a good time i think they 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 cross so many like they're so accessible to so many different groups of people um whether you live in south africa whether you're successful whether you're not whether you're old whether you're young he's just beautiful anyway so we Delicious. recommend demi demi uh i'll put probably in the description in the sh sort of description of this episode i'll put a link to his youtube channel you can go and have a look at that uh or just search it on youtube it's pretty easy to find um and with that i think we should call the episode to a close unless you have anything desperately you need to say at the end no no uh good other than the old soviet line that i said right on our first podcast of the year happiness is not forbidden it cannot be forbidden <laughs> yes yes okay sorry can i tell you a soviet joke i put another one i don't know if yes. we can tell this one there's uh well that's not actually a soviet joke but it's a communist joke it's the, the the poles are standing in a line in in communist poland and they're standing in a line for meat and it's taking forever and it's taking forever and eventually there's an there's a man he's been sitting in the line for hours and hours and he gets close to the front and then they say sorry comrades there's no more meat available today go home and he stands up and he says this is this is too much we've been standing in this line for hours and now there isn't even meat what can we say what was the revolution about if you know we're all going to be without out even meat today you know back in the day there was there was meat even though times were bad i can't stand the system anymore this things need to change and a man in a trench coat steps out of the shadows and everyone sort of shies away from him and he approaches the the man who was expressing his grievances and he goes up to me and he says comrade comrade you know you shouldn't be saying things like that in the old days if you said something like that and then he mimes he puts like a his finger to his head looking like a gun and he he makes like he's pulling the trigger he says you would have ended up in the ground if you said things like that comrade anyway the old man goes home then and his wife says are things bad? Did you get any meat? And he said, oh, they're worse than I thought. They've run out of bullets. <laughs> and with that, <laughs> I'd like to urge you all to keep the flag of liberty flying. Have a wonderful weekend, everyone. Uh. Grr, <laughs>